Changing conversations. Welcome to another episode of the Idea Fountain. I'm Julie Pilot, and this episode is very special to me because it's not only featuring someone who has changed my life, she has news that could save your life. Dina Lapole is a dear friend who had a terrifying health scare last year, and it was crazy for a lot of reasons. It made me think about not taking people for granted. Dina is someone I've loved for a long time, but it's so easy to go weeks or even months without connecting with your closest friends. It made me think about the medical system and the need to have people advocate for you when you're sick. When Dina was in pain, there were so many doctors that kept prescribing her more and more pain medication instead of listening. And finally, the community and positivity that rose from this tragedy has not only made Dina, but so many people in our crew stronger. Episode 3 of the Idea Fountain, the theme is Life with Dina LaPolte. Now, Dina, before we even get into what happened to you, I want to get into one fact. You've always said you live your life like an open book. Why is that? Well... Okay, before I got sober in 1998, I was filled with a lot of secrets, okay? There was a lot of secrets, you know? And uh, one of the things is when you get sober, you have to live an honest and clean life. Principles, principles before personalities. And with me, the more successful I got and the more outspoken I got, the more enemies I got and the more competitors I got trying to bring me down. And I realized Sun Tzu's art of war you know, always know what your opposition is thinking. So if I don't have any vulnerabilities, then no one can get at me. So you can't call me a drug addict because I'm telling you I am. You can't call me an alcoholic because I'm telling you I am. Can't call me a lesbian. It's a big mistake to you. So like all these things that I have in my life, I'm an open book and I do that for a reason so people can learn about from who I am and also maybe that they can find the courage to be who they are. The one thing that I learn is we have to have an authentic connection with each other, you know, because it's all about the authentic connection. So if I really want to get to know you, you have to know who I am. I don't want to hide who I am from anybody in this room because I need everybody to be authentic. So I live my life as an open book like because of that. And before we get into the details of the story, also, you've told me about a concept that I've never heard before. Uh, explain what a God shot is oh. without getting into the specifics. All right, so a God shot is something that happens that you don't realize when it's happening at the time, that there's a higher power that's making that happen, and later on you look back and you say, oh my God, there was something greater than me that put that there. And I've had a couple God shots in my life. Obviously, the biggest one is when I got sober. I mean, everybody knew I had a drinking and drug problem. Everybody tried to do interventions on me um, for many, many years. And finally, when the Play Playboy Playmates sat me down and did an intervention on me, which, by the way, can never relapse because I'd have to change my story because, you know, no one gets an intervention at the Playboy Mansion and then ends up getting sober. So... Um, but when they sat me down and told me what my drinking was doing to them and it was ruining their life and, 
you know, that was a big issue. And like a month later, I went to, I was working at this law firm in Century City and they, my boss had opened the conga room, which was like a joint venture with some of our clients. And I'd go down there at the conga room and I'm like the lawyer. So I'm like, woohoo, with the margaritas and all these things. And I had the greatest time and I would do all these drugs in the bathroom and the best time. And then he, you know, my boss one day at work says, can we uh, go down to the conga room? We have to have a meeting. My first thought was like, oh my God, what am I, what it was the last thing I did at the conga room. And we get down there and everybody's bringing me shots of tequila and it was really embarrassing for me. And I knew like I couldn't stop drinking, I couldn't stop using. And my boss walked me to my car and he said, you know, and I go, I can explain all this. And he said, no, this is my place of business and you coming down here and acting like, you know, the neighborhood drunk and doing all these things is crazy and that jeopardizes my relationship with you. And you know, I heard that and it was a God shot because right away, every part of my life flashed before my eyes. I mean, I literally saw myself going nowhere and completely like toothless and homeless. Like that was my first God shot that I really consciously know. And then I've had others, but relating to this illness, I've had a few God shots that I didn't realize were God shots. And for people that don't know you that are listening to this, explain what your life was like in March of 2017, like your business, your family, just like typical week, including Soul Cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, okay, so in March, so every year I teach this class at UCLA, and I'm going into my 18th year teaching the class. All right. Um, you know, it's every January through March at UCLA called Legal and Practical Aspects of the Music Business, and I do it, and I have, you know, it's, everybody knows, Shirley's written about it, it's very high profile, there's a lot of people in this room that have taken the class, Hello. you know. Um, <laughs> Anyway, and speakers that I've in the class, Eric has been speaking for 10 years in the class, but you know, I was feeling very fatigued in March, very fatigued. And I even said to my wife, my beautiful wife, I said, yeah, I think I'm feeling my age. And she goes, honey, you just are biting off more than you can chew. But I was, feel, I was really fatigued. And you know what? It should have been a lesson in my office because I had my assistant order me a blanket to hang on the back of the door so I could take naps before my class on Tuesday night. That should have been your first fucking indication that this bitch is something's wrong with her. Um, but what happened, you can edit that out, right? No, it can okay. be, this is the internet. It can be uh, oh, great, I love the internet. No, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. So anyway, um, I was feeling very fatigued. And, but the one God shot that I had, two God shots happened that I didn't realize were God shots. The year before in August, August 2016, I was going to get a neck lift. And I paid a deposit to the plastic surgeon. Like, I'm going to open book. I don't give a shit, right? Okay. So I was gonna get this neck lift and I bring Wendy to the doctor to, to meet the doctor and she like grills him eight ways from Sunday and she's like, okay, he's qualified, I can agree to this. So I pay the deposit, so my friend Lynn says, well, you, you can't go get this surgery, you have to go see Chakrapani. I said, what is a Chakrapani? She goes, Chakrapani's the Hindu Vedic astrologer and he's gotta pick a date for your surgery and you gotta go see him and da da da. So I go see this 108 year old Indian guy who's like, you can't have the surgery, your Mars is in Rahu. I'm like, oh my God, my Mars is in Rahu, I'm screwed. He goes, no, just until February 11th, 2018. Now this is August 17th, 2016 and I'm thinking to myself, wait, 
This is August 2016. I can't get my neck lift till February 2008. I'm gonna look like a chicken. Like, how am I gonna get through all this, right? But Lynn's like, you have to listen to Chakrapani because if you don't listen to Chakrapani, you're gonna come out, your fucking nose is gonna be here, there. It's like, you're all bad. So I postponed the surgery, lost my deposit. And I'll tell you the reason that was a God shock, because when I did ultimately have the surgery, they could go through my neck, which is good. If I had the neck lift, they wouldn't have been able to go through my neck. They'd had to go through the back of my head and they would have to move my vocal cords. And I would have had serious vocal disability. Of course, I would have had the most colorful sign language in the country. <laughs> but nevertheless, that was a God shot. But in March, so that was one the year prior. But then in March, I was feeling very fatigued. The other God shot was is I hired this woman who I've been friends with for 15 years. She was the head of business affairs at Universal in Canada for 11 years. I did a lot of deals with her for many years. And she moved down here five years ago with her husband that went to work at Interscope at first. Now he's at Fox Music. And we've always kept in touch. I said, you need to take the bar. You need to take the bar. And I've been honored to take the bar because she was in-house at some companies here. But she finally took the bar and went to work for one of my friends. In January, she's like, I need to come see you. She comes see me. She goes, I'm leaving your friend, and I'm going back in-house. I said, no, we die in-house. When you're in private practice, the sky's the limit. There's no ceiling. And I go, come work for me. And she goes, no, are you kidding me? I said, yes, Sarah, come work for me. So I hired her. That was a God shot because she's a grown woman. And even though I love all the lawyers at my office, it's a lot of high drama. And we have a lot of high drama, high maintenance clients, which is really fun. And my life is really exciting all the time. But I'm like the only adult. And if I'm the only adult, that's kind of scary because this is me. <laughs> so I hire Sarah, which was amazing. And that was a God shot because when this was all happening to me, which I'm sure I'll get to, and I was rushed into surgery, they didn't know if I was going to make it because I went into septic shock. And it was a manager that I worked with, Larry, one of my closest friends in the world, who I've known for 20 years, calls Wendy and says, can I put Sarah in charge at the law firm? And Sarah goes, Larry, you do whatever you need to do, and, we'll, and I'll support you. And good thing I had Sarah, because she came. She did with what for me what God could not do for me, because I always knew I needed to let go, right? A good leader is someone who stays in the forest who sees the forest in the big picture. And I always knew I wanted to do that. And some things I did, the stuff I work with, with Veronica and our Urban Fitness 911 stuff, I'm in the big picture. But when it came to my law office, I was in the weeds. I couldn't stop reviewing paragraph 16EB3. I couldn't do it, you know? And I would make all the lawyers give me their agreements before I sent them out. And it was, it was too much, too much, too much, too much. And when I got Sarah, you know, I was on my ass in the hospital. And she just like took over, and I had no choice but to let go, you know? And it was a major God shot. So you're living your life, <clears throat> Hollywood lawyer, I mean, working with Britney Spears, Fifth Harmony, Dead Mouse, and about 100 other people. You're a mom of two twin boys, running around like a crazy woman, teaching this class. What was the first like indication that something was up, aside from being tired? Well, I was in New York for Dead Mouse's tour. He had four solite shows at the Hammerstein Ball, and I had a neck pain. I woke up with a neck pain, and I had Soul Cycle booked with everybody, his fiance, who's his wife now, but his fiance, his sister, the tour manager, we all had this whole thing booked, and I said, you know, I can't go. I have this neck pain. 
And then um, the next day it got worse. And I left New York early and I came home. I said, I'll, let me fly home and go to my chiropractor and I'll meet you in San Francisco. Well, I never got to San Francisco because I came home. That was, well, April 19th, I took my 19-year sobriety birthday cake because April 19th was my 19th sobriety day by or year. By April 22nd, my neck pain was so bad. I came home from New York and... Um, you know, I went to the chiropractor and it just didn't get better. And by that night, I called my internist, the doctor, and he had called me in muscle relaxers and steroids. Which is complicated because you're sober. Yes. And I was in a lot of pain. So I didn't want to take pain medication. Um, so I was on muscle relaxers and steroids. And then the next day it was worse. I was on more steroids. And then Monday morning, one of my assistants took me to get an, took me to his office, and I took two tramadol, which is a light narcotic or whatever it is, pain. It's something I shouldn't take unless it's prescribed by a doctor, and I took it, and I was in pain again in an hour, okay, which was crazy because being 19 years without a drug or a drink, I should have been running down the street singing cock-a-doodle-doo with underwear on my head. <laughs> You know, or stealing your money or getting a tattoo or something. But anyway, nothing was, you know, it was bad. And when they got it, my MRI, they showed that I had a bone spur in my neck, and that's what he said was caused the pain. But it was so unbearably painful, like nothing worked. And um, they called me in Vicodin. I took that. My sponsor was in Europe, so I was calling her all the time on this, and my sobriety sister was I was on the phone with her all the time and you know it's very stressful when you're clean and sober to take pain medication is very very stressful because I'm wired different I have the disease of more I've never had one of anything okay I don't have one cookie I have the bag you know I have the whole box I don't have I've never had one glass of wine in my entire life you know what I mean and I said to my wife I'm looking at this Vicodin and I go take four every one hour she goes no babe that's four that's one every four hours I go, no, it says four every one hour. That's what it says. Like, I just don't see things right. And when you get something in you like that, it creates the phenomenon of craving. So it was so bad. The pain was so bad. And they never got ahead of the pain because he misdiagnosed me. And I checked myself into the ER on Thursday night, the 27th, was the first time I checked myself into the ER. And I think, I mean, it's really important. One of the things I took away from this as you're going through this and you're scared and you have so much pain and now you're on painkillers, you have to have people that can advocate for you. Yeah. And it was, look at there's the, the opiate academic, the opiate epidemic here in this country is out of control. And I later found out from my surgeon who's amazing and saved my life. But he's like, Dina, I really did not know who you were. Like I thought you were just a drug seeker, you know, because I mean, look at the, chief of medicine at the Keck School of Medicine at USC was just dismissed for being a crystal meth addict. It's all over the news. And it's like he's been doing crystal meth at the campus for a year and seeing patients. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. Don't give me too much pain medication, but I'm in so much pain. He's like, you know, everything that you said was like a drug seeking person. And if you didn't have these people around you telling me you know, like my friend Steve Longo, who I've known for 15 years, who's my sobriety brother, he literally told the ER doctor, he's like, you stop fucking with her, okay? 
It's like, you're going to do what we say, or in a hot minute, I'm going to have all of Hollywood here taking you out. Like, he was like, literally get, went into the ER and was like producing an episode of Oprah. So, but when you, <coughs> when you checked yourself into the ER, then what was the diagnosis? Well, and what were the doctors saying well, at that my, point? The first time I checked myself in the ER, um, my doctor came down and micromanaged everybody. So he came down to the ER, micromanaged everybody, and I remember he knew the woman in the ER, and they went to med school together, and they're just like, and I got released that night, and I was fine. I realize now, when I read every, my medical report in rehab, I realized that he um, just had me on a morphine drip the whole time. They didn't do any other tests. So on Friday, I was feeling fine. Like, I couldn't move my head, but I was fine. I actually went down to the shrine to meet Dead Mouse, who became my security guard, took my water, my purse, and anybody that came near me, he's like, what do you want? Get the fuck away from her. <laughs> so he was like my bodyguard the whole time, you know, because I couldn't move my head, and I thought I was going to get an epidural on Monday. That's what they said. They said, you're going to get an epidural Monday, May 1st, and you have to suck it up um, because the epidural was going to take out the bone spur. Um, but on Friday night, it got so bad that I couldn't, I mean, I literally, we had to move the recliner chair from the living room, remember, hon, into the bedroom. And the only thing that helped me is when I would sit the, in the recliner chair and I pulled my head off my shoulders mm. and I would sit there crying in, in pain. And at this point, our house was completely upside down. I mean... My kids were freaked out. My mother-in-law was coming over every night to be with the kids while Wendy was trying to figure out what was going on, arguing with my internist. It was awful. And by Saturday, it was so bad, he drives me over to say, okay, this is a very profound. Okay, so Friday night, April 28th, so really Saturday morning at 2.30 in the morning. I'm in the living room in the recliner chair. Right? And I couldn't take another pain pill for three hours. And I didn't know if I can do that, so I started thinking about killing myself. Because I'd rather fucking kill myself than go out. So I, I started thinking how I was going to tell Wendy in a note. And I was going to go to the garage and kill myself. And I called my sponsor in Ireland. And she said, you can't take another pain pill, honey. Because the, I go, can I take one? She goes, no. I would rather die than lose my sobriety. I would rather fucking die. So she stayed on the phone with me for three hours until 5.30 in the morning. And I took a pain pill at 5.30 in the morning. And by 6.15, I was in pain. And I went in, I got Wendy, and I said, this is really bad. We have to go to the hospital. And she called the doctor, and he drove me over a prescription for Percocet. Fuck her. 
and Wendy, we had to, we couldn't get it filled. It was a narcotic. We had to go to the hood to get it filled, you know? <laughs> Nobody would fill the prescription without me and without ID, so we went down to rodeo and got the prescription filled, you know? And, you know, <laughs> for people that may live in other parts of the country, it's important to know there's a difference between rodeo and rodeo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she got it filled and the doctor said, and the doctor, my sponsor conferenced me in with the doctor and he said, when Wendy gets back with the Percocet, she's to take two. So Jane, my sponsor said, that's good. He's directing you to take two. He's my doctor. That's allowed in AA. So at 11 AM, I took two Percocet. And by one o'clock in the afternoon, I was in so much pain. And we knew something was wrong. So Wendy called the doctor back and he said to her, suck it up. He's, and Wendy said, fuck off, Andrew, and hung up the phone. And I remember thinking, God, Wendy, yes. <laughs> wow. And, um, and then Steve Longo clicked in just when Wendy said, fuck off to the doctor. And Steve Longo's my sobriety brother. And he called to see if I was okay. Um, and this time, Veronica was calling all day. And it was a, it was a lot. And... So Wendy said, Steve, you need to come here and take Dina to the ER. And he goes, I'm in Pasadena. Give me a minute. And Wendy said, call me when you come because I'm going to bring Dina out the back. It's so bad. My kids can't see her like this. It's so bad. And um, Steve took me to the ER, and he got down there, and he just fucking went off on these people. Like, I couldn't even walk, and he was like went off and he called my doctor. I remember what he said to my doctor. He goes, I'm going to make you my bitch. <laughs> and he goes, so you start calling some people at Cedars or I'm going to fuck you up. He goes, you have no idea who you're screwing with, you know? And he's not kidding, you know? And I go, oh my God, between Wendy and Steve Longo, it was amazing. And um, he got me in and he said, you need to do tests on her. And they did, and they said, she's got fluid in her. I don't remember this. The next thing you know, I'm being checked in to this amazing place at Cedars where they're, like, fluffing Steve's pillows and asking us if we want smoothies. <laughs> I'm like, where are we, you know? Um, but they had done another MRI and saw that I had fluid leaking in my spine, and that's when they admitted me. Now, this was Saturday night, so Steve stayed with me the whole night. And Wendy was trying to get our nanny to come to the house, who I think was out of town. And she was trying to get her. So Steve stayed with me the whole night on Saturday. And then Veronica came um, at 6 AM on Sunday to relieve Steve and stayed with me the whole time until Wendy came on Sunday at 11. And by the time Wendy came, um, I was already, I did a CAT scan angio. And I remember in the CAT scan angio, late, I did two of them, and the second one on Sunday night, I remember being in there and feeling really hot. And I was really hot, and when they pulled me out, I wiped my head, and it was soaking wet. And I hear the guy go, she's sopping wet, dude. And the next thing you know, they're running with me on the gurney, because I remember back, running with me. And everything hurt, like... I kept screaming that my hip was broken. I'm like, my hip is broken. That I remember. Like I was driving my surgeon crazy. I'm like, my hip is broken. He goes, well, I have to treat this. And he called another doctor from his office to come to do an x-ray on my hip because I was literally screaming about my hip being broken. 
and my and then they moved they moved my arm and that felt broken and I don't know the next thing you know Wendy comes in and she sits down really scared like because Wendy had already come to the hospital then and she said um you know you have to go into surgery um I go okay I mean at that point I was literally like you know I was like, fine. Like there was not, I didn't even say for what, like it didn't even care, you know, but that was pretty um, like insane going into surgery. And before you went into the surgery, they came and they asked you about your spiritual background. This is when I knew it was bad. They said, what religion are you? And you want us to call a rabbi. And you know something? I remember laying there thinking, I've had a really good life. Like, I've really had a great life. Like, all the things that I've done and all the experiences I've done and all the careers I've had in the music business and just like, you know, and being able to have the kids and having, marrying the love of my life you know, and my family, like, and my best friends, and pe- like, and I just think I had a really good life. I'm okay. I can go. That's what I remember. It's the last thing I remember. So you go into surgery. You come out. What was it? I didn't know it was the next day. Okay. Uh, so Wendy goes, "You did really good," and I'm like, "Okay." I was like. She goes, you did really good, babe. You did so good. And I go, okay, what happened to me, right? Like, what happened? And, and then all the doctors came in, and they said we had to, you know, take out two neck discs. And I don't remember a lot of it. So now I'm just telling you what Veronica told me and what Wendy told me. Because Veronica was there the whole time as well, and Steve Longo was here. And, and I don't really remember a lot, so I'm re- telling you what I was told. And... Um, you know, they went in through my neck, took out two neck discs, put in a titanium plate. Um, and they said, you know, you won't have any vocal disabilities. And they had told Wendy that the good news is, is she won't have any vocal disabilities. And Wendy didn't even know that that was an option. But why did they take out the discs? Because they were infected. So what had, what had happened is I had an infection that lodged in an arthritic part of my neck. And through all the steroids and all the muscle relaxers that they had put me on and all the pain pills, it exasperated and caused the infection to cause an abscess in my spine, and it started leaking bacteria into my spine through my neck disc. And that's why I went, I had to have emergency surgery. So all those bones that I thought was broken, what happened is I went into septic shock. Which, by the way, I didn't even know what septic shock was until I was in the rehabilitation facility. And I, down, and I got my password to my medical file at Cedars, which anybody could, it's amazing. And I read my entire medical report. And I think I called Erica. I called you, Erica, after I read the medical report. But it said... May 1st, 11.08 a.m., patient is in septic, septic shock, rushing her into emergency surgery. 
And I didn't know what it was. And then I Googled septic shock. And I literally was like, oh, my God, the mortality rate is 50%. And that's if you're in the hospital. So, I was, so it all hit me when I was in the rehabilitation facility that it was that serious. And, I mean, I knew it was serious because they did say to me, in the, you know, we don't, we don't think she'll have disabilities in her ankles and her feet. And I got to say, I'm thinking, of my, I said to myself, does that mean I can't go to Soul Cycle? Like, <laughs> you know, this is what I'm thinking, you know, but. And then another profound thing happened. So my doctor says to my sobriety sister, can you tell, at the elevator, can you tell me a little bit about her? Because remember, he thinks I'm a drug seeker. So before surgery, he's like, can you tell me a little bit about her? Because I've got to go into this surgery and I'm canceling my day tomorrow. And my sobriety sister says she's a very prominent attorney, very spiritually based. She has two kids. She has an amazing wife, a big life, lots of influence, and she's really, really involved in helping people. She helps people, whether as a lawyer or someone in sobriety. And he goes, okay, so she's really together. And she goes, oh, my God, she's one of the most together people. So he's telling her this. She's telling him this at the elevator, and I didn't realize now until why she's telling, you know, like he was asking because he didn't really know because his impression of me when I was like this opiate ec epidemic, you know. But the thing after surgery, which was amazing, that he became my big advocate. And he says to Wendy and I very seriously, he goes, she's being released. In oh, first of all, I'm in the ICU. This part cannot be... <laughs> left out. So I'm in the ICU and Wendy's exhausted because our routine was this. Our routine was Wendy stays overnight and the na Wendy stays overnight. She gets up and she changes the nurses at 7 a.m. and makes sure that the nurse from the night shift is telling the nurse from the day shift all the shit that needs to happen. Then Wendy zips home, kids get out of bed, feeds the kids, da 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 da, takes them to school with the nannies, meets with the teachers, zip backs to the hospital, meets with the doctor at 11, da-da-da-da-da, stays with me through 11, da-da-da, does all this other stuff, took a leave of work, uh, absence from work, goes back to pick up the kids with the nanny at 3.30 so we can keep some kind of normalcy in the house. Feeds the kids, plays with them a little bit, reads a story, gets them in the bath, gets them ready to bed, comes back to the hospitals with me, the hospital. She's doing this around the clock for seven days. So when I'm in the ICU, um, you know, I wouldn't push the button because I'm so stressed out now. I just had the surgery. I realized the magnitude of the surgery. They got me on this machine. You push the button for the pain meds. I wouldn't push the button. Ginger, my sobriety sister, stays with me one night. She calls my sponsor on the FaceTime. She's like, fucking push the button. <laughs> so I'm like pushing the button, but they wouldn't let me out of the ICU because I couldn't pee. And I can't pee with all these people watching me. Like I'm trying to... So they're like, you have to take the catheter out. We can't. So they take the catheter out, but I couldn't pee because they're staring at me. I'm like, I can't pee regular. And you're staring at me. You need to leave. And they wouldn't leave. So Ginger's like, get her a thing of water to stick her feet in the water and all this other stuff. You know, and turn on the bat sink and get out of the room and all this stuff. And then, you know, Veronica comes and I couldn't pee. And Ginger's like, and then a woman dies next to me. She's like, remember that, Wendy? And Ginger goes, Baby, listen to me. 
there are people dying in here, okay? And just then a, a priest walks by with the Bible, and I'm like, oh, hello. And he's like, do you need to see me? And I'm like, I hope not. And Veronica's like, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here, baby. You've got to pee, baby. You've got to pee, okay? So it was two nights in the ICU, and I finally get out of the ICU, and I get transferred upstairs, and, um, you know, that was a whole thing. And then the doctor, my doctor surgeon comes in. He goes, they're going to release you in three days, but I'm concerned because you, she can't take care of herself. Like, she can't walk, and she can't go to the bathroom by herself. I mean, even though I went to the bathroom by myself to get out of ICU, like, I had to call the person. I couldn't wipe myself. I couldn't do any of that because I couldn't lift my arms, and I couldn't move my head, and it was awful. And he said, I can't, you know, with your twin boys bring, being home, releasing her would be really traumatic, and I don't think she'll get well. So he goes, there's a place that just opened up called the California Rehabilitation Institute. Um, and it's, re it's a joint venture between Cedar sinai and UCLA. And it's very competitive to get in. And it just opened two weeks ago. And they're very selective. And um, the woman's going to come see Dina, and she's got to be interviewed to get in. And Wendy, who is going to leave to go take, pick up the kids, because the doctor goes, Dina, you can't be too well, and you can't be too sick. <laughs> You have to be right in the middle. And he's like, so you can't. And she, Wendy goes, I got this. I'm a promotions person. I'll handle this whole thing. And Wendy's like, calls the nanny. I'm not coming home. Not, I'm gonna, she's like, baby, you got to do that. You can't. No, you can't walk with the wall. You got to pretend you're. Don't stand up straight. Go like this. Be a little cripply. She goes, be a little sickly. Don't laugh. Stop telling jokes and stop, you know. And I go, well, I like that nurse. Well, stop talking to her like that. You know, be sickly. Like, Wendy's trying to coach me for like two hours. Her and Dr. Kim are trying to coach me. And I'm like, okay, and I think I got it. So then I'm sitting there in my little wheelchair. Okay, and the woman's coming to interview me, and they, she comes in, and they go, Dina, this is Yvonne, and I look, and here's this eight-foot-tall lesbian with a bow tie, and I go, hi, I'm Dina, and this is my wife, Wendy. <laughs> Boom, I'm in. I love that. And uh, before we talk about what happened at the rehab clinic, uh, we did talk about Sarah running your firm while you were out. We talked about it being a god shot still, it's really a tricky situation to decide how to run your firm. I remember you telling me that one of your former clients, uh, a Fanny Shakur, Tupac's mom, actually had a big impact on how you wanted to communicate to your clients about what was going on. Everyone in my, this room has been close to me for 15 years, 20 years. Know that this woman is responsible for who I am today, besides my mother. And she taught me to live with no compromises, no regrets. If you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for every, anything. And stand up for what you believe in, no matter how unpopular your position might be. Um, and that's a lot of reason why I'm an open book. She was an open book. She was an open book. And I just feel like, you know, the things that I go through now in my life, I could always hear her voice. Motherfucker! 
fucker, Dina LaPole. Just get a hold of that bitch and go take that shit. And tell him a faintest sent you. Click. You know, like all that, like just the things that she did and encouraged me. I mean, to even open my law practice in 2001 when everybody was against me and I was battling with Suge Knight. And those of you that have known me for this long know that I went through a lot of things with Death Row Records, which was very dangerous. And, you know, and I opened my own practice and nobody wanted me to open my own practice. They wanted me to go to a big firm where I'd be protected around a lot of men. And Fanny's like, you don't need those motherfuckers. You're more gangster than any of these motherfuckers. Okay, you just need to be on your own. Yeah, Fanny. Fanny got your back. So you just got to get everybody else's back. That's your lesson, bitch. You get everybody's back. Someone needs help, Dina LaPolk going to show up. And you're going to help people that don't even know they need help. That's how you're going to be helping. You know? And this is true to this day. I'll say, you need me. I need to be in your corner. You don't know it now, but I need to be in your corner. And I'm going to be in your corner. Because uh, while you were working with her, didn't you witness a situation where a Fanny fired someone for not being honest about their health? After the surgery, when I was thinking of the things that she said, everybody in my firm, including my wife, were like, well, maybe we don't tell the clients what happened to her because it's so serious. Um, you know, maybe we say, you know, whatever. And I said no. Remember Wendy? I go, nope. Because a Fanny would t tell me to tell everybody. A Fanny would say, you say exactly what happened, regardless of whether we think I'm going to come back. We say this. And the reason I remember, because we had a lawyer a long time ago that was a litigator that worked for the estate, and he went in and had open heart surgery. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, no one wanted to tell her. And I remember thinking to myself, this was in 1997, like I wasn't even sober, but, or 1998, I'd just gotten sober. I said, we need to tell her. And they're like, no, we're not telling her. And I go, that's bad. Well, anyway, she found out anyway, after the open heart surgery, they lied to her. She found out and she fired everybody. So I said to Wendy, no, we're going to do exactly what a Fanny would have done. Fanny would be telling everybody, this bitch is all up in here and I don't know when I'm coming back. That's what we did. And if you tell the truth and they fire you, then they're fuck not. Them. Fuck them. You didn't them. want to be their lawyer anyway. Right. They're not meant to be. <laughs> um, so now you get into the rehab facility. What's it like there? What kind of things okay. are you doing? First What's of all, on? let me tell you. So my nurse in Cedars, I didn't realize this now or then, but she's this beautiful Armenian woman, 27 years old, that was my primary nurse, gorgeous. And there was an inner sadness to her, and she took care of me, and I spent a lot of time with her by myself, and I'd say, what's wrong? And one day she says to me, you know, I just got married in November, but I found out that I have um, MS. And I don't know how to handle that. And I said, I can help you. Because one of my instructors in spinning found out she had MS. 10 years ago, and she changed the way she ate, and she changed her life, and now she's healthier than ever. And I said, my friend Ko um, knows all these places that you can get all this great food because she, ha she deals with celiac disease, and she's gluten-free and dairy-free, and she could tell you all these places to get food. And she goes, really? I go, oh, my God, you're going to have the best life. You're going to get gluten-free pizza, and you're going to get all this great stuff, and you're going to have a great life, and you're going to be amazing. And I put her in touch with Tevia, 
my soul cycle instructor that had, well, now she's a flywheel, but um, MS, and she's written a book, and she's helped lots of people, and I put her in touch with Co, and Co gave her, inf anyway, when I was leaving the, the place to go to the rehab center, her husband came to say goodbye to me with flowers. He said, I've, and I said, I love you, and she goes, I've, you've helped me more than I'll ever have helped you. And I remembered that, and he was crying, and he gave me flowers, and he said, thank you so much. Um, and when I went to the rehab place, I was going over there. We were in that van, remember, Wendy in the back? And I go, Wendy, because they said she's cleared for 21 days. I go, I can't be up in anywhere for 21 days. I got shit to do. Wendy goes, you need to listen to the doctors. And I go, Wendy, this is what I'm going to do when I get to the rehab place. I'm going to help people. And she goes, baby, why don't you just focus on helping yourself? <laughs> Remember that? And we get to the place, and, um, you know, I had two goals. To get off pain medication and to be out by Mother's Day. And they said the magic words. They said to me, no, that's not going to happen. And anybody that knows me <laughs> knows that that is the magic word. Tell me you can't get it done. It can't be done. And I knew that it would, you know, that that was it. And I said to the doctor, I said, here's what you're going to do. Stop coming in here and asking me what fucking pain my pain, pill, my pain is. When you come in and say, what's your pain from 1 to 10? I'm a drug addict. I'm going to tell you 10. Stop asking me that shit. You're fucking me up. Okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to schedule me for every therapy you have in this place. Every therapy. So I'm looking at this paper. You have Ayurvedic chair yoga and you have occupational therapy, which I don't even know what it was until I got there. Physical therapy. I want you to schedule me for all these things. And if I can't do this, this day that you planned for me, I'll take a pain pill. If I'm in too much pain to do this day, I'm going to take a pain pill. That's what I'm going to do. He goes, okay, I can live with that. Great. And I said, this is the other thing I'm going to do. I said, there's no I said, the visiting hours here at 8.30, that ain't going to work for me. I need my assistant to come here at 7 a.m. with my Starbucks. <laughs> because this is like asshat coffee. I mean, someone wakes up in this place and says, I'm, gonna, I'm determined to make the worst coffee in the planet at this rehabilitation. And I can't get well with this bitch-ass coffee. So she needs to be here at 7 o'clock with my damn Starbucks after my IV, because my IV was at 6.45 or 5.45 a.m. So she would come at 7 with my Starbucks. With my Starbucks, going over the day in the office, I'd take two Tylenol. By the time my morning meds happened, which was 7.45 in the morning, if I still was in too much pain to get my tired ass out of that bed, then I would take a pain pill. He goes, okay. So he waved the thing and let her come every day at 7. And that's what I did. And then I started doing these therapies, and I started meeting the most amazing people in rehab. Like people that were really fucked up. People that had strokes, that couldn't even move. A, a, a guy that um, was in a drunk driving accident and lost his legs. This other woman, Liz, who fell off her house hanging bougainvillea drunk, you know, broke you know, a femur and punctured her lungs. And, and this woman, Phyllis, from Compton who fell down two flights of stairs and broke both her hips. Like, you know, and I just started telling them, oh, in my room, Wendy had bought me all these things, pictures of the boys and pictures of our families and friends. And, and then 
um, Shirley Halperin calls me and she's like, baby, what's going on? Are you okay? And I said, Shirley, this would happen to me. And Shirley goes to the, Mer the BMI Music Awards. I go, Shirley, tell everybody. Tell everybody because I'm only as sick as my secret. So Shirley goes to the BMI Music Awards May 9th and she tells everybody. And so did my friend Jay Cooper, who's a lawyer I work with, and Beth Matthews, who runs ASCAP, or Mike O'Neill, who runs BMI. Anyway, they tell everybody. And the next day, I'm getting, like, deliveries. Like, I got 54 deliveries in four days. <laughs> Literally. I mean, it was insane. I got flowers and cupcakes and cakes and strudels and moodles and loodles and doodles and... <laughs> stuff and I was like people would come to visit me I'd say to Mary Rooney get off the elevator and follow the, follow the flowers bitch just follow the flowers you know and people would come and visit me and there were so many flowers I needed to go on Allegra because I couldn't breathe I was sneezing all the time so I started bringing the flowers to all these other patients rooms so I had a deal I said if you meet me if you get out of bed today and you come to occupational therapy with me I'm gonna give you this bouquet of flowers and they go, really? I go, yes. So they'd come, and I'd go, oh, you get a flower, you get a flower, you get a flower. And then I'd have people come to my room for snacks. So I go, if you go to Ayurvedic chair yoga with me, okay, I'm gonna, you come to my room and you get some cookies and milk. So I started helping all these other patients, like with all this stuff, and it was amazing. As soon as I started helping people, and by the way, occupational therapy, for those people that don't know what it is, because I never did. But it's, they help you in your everyday life. So in occupational therapy, one of the, my biggest tasks to learn was to take a shower. I learned how to take a shower by myself. Trust me, I had to take a shower with this hot nurse. I'm like, girl, I cannot time to take a shower. There's <laughs> I mean here. You need to go out the door. You know, but she's like, no, Dean, I have to watch you. I'm like, then go get the fat, ugly, hairy guy because I cannot stand in this shower with you. So anyway, she did. She got the fat, hug, ugly, hairy guy. I go, I'm fine with you. Turn around. Stop looking at my ass. You know, but anyway, um, so I had to learn how to take a shower. I had to learn how to blow dry my hair. So one of my tasks was... They have a fake kitchen at this rehab, <laughs> so I tell Wendy, today I'm going in the kitchen to learn all the kitchen tasks, and Wendy's like, okay, that's going to be interesting. So I get to the kitchen, and she says to me, oh, I had to learn how to make the bed. You know, she's like, don't make it like that. You're going to further injure yourself. Make it like this. Don't make it like So I had to learn how to do all these things, because I have three jobs in the house. Make the coffee, make the bed, and what's my other thing? <laughs> make the coffee make the bed those are my two jobs so anyway we get to the kitchen and she goes okay you show me how you would function in the kitchen so I, I pulled out my cell phone and she's like what are you doing I said I'm calling takeout <laughs> anyway so I had to learn all these things so in occupational therapy you learn how to get along in everyday life which was really incredible but all these um, therapists that I had. Now, you guys, this is an incredible thing that I got, okay? All of us have been in the music business our whole life, right? We, like, right, since we were young, like, music is our life. Like, we are all in the music business or in the, in the educational nonprofit sector. This is what we do. We give, right? And my whole family's in education. So the only two occupations I know are music and education. That's it. I don't know any, but any other occupations really. Brief stint at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, but I got fired. But, you know, 
like no other occupations. But here I meet all these therapists that are like 30 years old, amazing women that all were like sports people. They were like sports kids. They got like, they were like sports, into sports from an early age, like we were into music. And they go to college for sports, like rugby and badminton and gymnastics and things like that. And while they're in college for sports, like I was in college as a music major, I realized the first year I'm being a music major is that everybody's better than me. So I got to figure out what else am I going to do in music. Like them, they go to college and realize, wow, there's all these other people. But so what am I going to do? So they all become physical therapists and occupational therapists and all, they're all getting their masters and their doctorate and they're all really passionate about their field. So I started talking to them about their lives. I'd be like, tell me about your life. So all these young people that were my therapists, I would like, as they're walking, oh, by the way, this is funny, Shirley, the California Institute, um, Rehabilitation Institute is right smack dab in Century City. Greenberg Trower, Loeb and Loeb, all these law firms I fight with all day. I go, could you just put it in a better place? And then I had to walk around the block in my robe with my ass hanging out, and I'm like, I hope Gary Stiffelman doesn't drive by, because you know what I mean? As I'm, but anyway, it was really funny. So I would just spend time with these therapists just asking them about themselves, and they were telling me all about their lives, like, you know, how they were on these teams and did all these things. Anyway, it was a magical, magical place. And I really believe that because I was there, I recovered so quickly. And by the way, I was supposed to be there for 21 days. I got out in eight. I did. I got out in eight days. I got out in eight days. And, I mean, tell them what you did for Phyllis, like what was going on in her life. She was from Compton, fell down two flights of stairs, Broke but both her hips. felt kind yeah. of abandoned, right? Like her family wasn't around. Yeah, her daughter had come to see her one time in three months. She did had no hope. I would go to her room with my little walker. I'd go, come on, Phyllis, we're going to Ayurvedic channel yoga. She'd go, I'm not going today. Oh, you got to get out your ass out of bed, girl. You got to get your ass out of the bed. And I would drag her with me. And I'm like, smell this as peppermint. It's gonna, she goes, oh, that smell. I said, put that under your nose. It's going to make you feel, breathe in. Breathe in the flower, blow out the candle. Breathe in that, all those you that have kids know that's what we do. Breathe in the flower, blow out the candle. So I'd be saying this to Phyllis. And, you know, I basically just was like telling her stories about the kids, making her go to these things with me. You know, and then when I left, I, you know, they have like a, they call it the fishbowl, but in the fishbowl is like, you know, these iPads. So I set her up with a Yahoo email address that she could email me and check in and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, she didn't have any hope. And, you know, she had some <coughs> challenges, right, even with work. Like, she didn't know what she was going to do. Yeah, because she, oh, because she got, um, she worked for a big grocery store chain for 42 years and didn't even have disability. So I helped her fill out all the FEMA papers in rehab, and I got her FEMA disability benefits. So now she's out, got a new apartment. She got an elevator in the apartment. You know, she has federal disability benefits and stuff like that. So, you know, one of the things that was great with these people in rehab, I go, bitches, I got eight, I got seven lawyers at my firm. So what do we need to get? You need some paperwork filled out? I got you. This is easy shit, okay? This is some easy shit. Unprecedented. So you get, you're supposed to be there 21 days. You get home at eight. Eight days. And then what was it like reuniting with the boys? Okay, so Mary, they're not, okay, so Mary Rooney comes to see me in rehab. And she brings me these gifts from all my friends at SoulCycle. 
Um, two gifts that she bought me was the game Operation and Supergirl. So that was two of the gifts. And when I got released from rehab, I, my scar I mean, it was really black and blue in my neck. I couldn't move. And I was 19 pounds thinner than I am today. So it was really frightening. And I knew when I got released that it was going to be really, really startling for my kids to see me. Like really startling. I was really sick. Like my head looked big. Wendy would say, your head looks too big for your body. <laughs> and I always used to say, honey, you can never be too rich and too thin. But you know what? I'm changing my <laughs> shtick. All right? Um, anyway, so I got home and I said, Wendy goes, what are you going to tell the boys? I go, I got to make it fun. Like I got to, I got to make it fun because this is sickly, you know? Um, so we get in, and the boys, I get the two games, and I said, and they are looking at me, I go, babies, look at this. I go, this is mama on here. No, mama, he's big and fat. I go, I know, but look at this on the operation game. This is, I had this, like, you know, this operation, like, this is what happened. I'm showing them. And I go, but this is what happened because, you know, and they go, what, what happened? And I go, I got in a fight with Darth Vader. <laughs> That's what happened to mama. Mama got in a fight with Darth Vader. And they're really like listening to me. And I go, but mama won. And they go, you kicked Darth Vader's butt? I go, did I kick his butt? I kicked his butt. And I go, look at this is Supergirl Mama. And I give it, and they're running around the house going, Supergirl Mama, Supergirl Mama. And then the next day at school, because you know, they go to the school where they, have a, they film them on the iPads all day, like that they don't know they're filming them. And we get these emails every day seeing what our kids do during the day so we could talk to them about their day. It's, you know, hi, you know, we could see their day and say, did you have a good time and with Mr. Ray in gym class, whatever? So one of the videos our teacher sent us was my son Buddy going, Mama saw Darth Vader. <laughs> and she goes, oh, really? Yeah, and she kicked his butt. We have it on video. Yeah. And then I guess the next phase was starting to walk again, right? People would come visit yes. you. And yes. what was the deal? Okay, so here's the deal. So, okay, so 10 years ago, right when Wendy and I were, we were together, we've been together now 12 and a half years. So we were together, but we didn't have kids. Julie. Lori Risher, Monica, sometimes Amy B. We'd all go to this VIP yoga room with some other women in music, like Melanie Skull, some other people, Michelle Osborne. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. funny. It's a whole nother talk. It's a whole nother podcast. Anyway, <laughs> so we'd all go, and after, and profit, and we'd all go to yoga, and after yoga, we'd all go across the street to Starbucks, and we would just talk. And it was community. And when we were together, things happened. Jobs got promoted. People happened. People came into our life. We'd bring people into VIP yoga. They'd feel the magic. We'd go have coffee. We'd cross-pollinate. Things would happen. Things would happen. Well, when this happened to me, we get busy. And when, since we had kids four and a half years ago, there's a lot of people, and some in this room, that I, even though kept in contact with through social media, I don't see you as much as I used to see you. And you all reached out to me. Everybody was like, Dean, I have to see you. I have to see you. I have to see you. Because everybody knew what happened. And I said, if you're going to come see me, you have to walk me around the block. That's the deal. 
So people would come. They'd walk me around the block. Then it's two blocks. Then two of you would come. Then three of you would come. Then four of you would come. Then it's, Run then it's Fryman Canyon. And then things are happening, cross-pollinating ideas. Meet Carla from Ying Bank. All this stuff, talking about that. Then Runyon Canyon, and then all these things, and now here we have Friday Morning Hike Club. Friday Morning Hike Club, and now we all go like it's a, a posse of people that interrelate. And you know, I feel like we're all like the perennial generation. You know, like this is us. We're ever blooming, relevant people of all ages. You know, that know what's going on in the world, that are current with technology, that have friends of all ages. You know, we are passionate, compassionate, you know, glo global-minded thinkers that, like, you know, don't compromise our beliefs and want to share experiences and ideas and have authentic connections with each other. And through social media, knowing what we each, each other does, like, to see that, to be connected, to know what you all are doing and, and you guys see what we're doing with our kids, is the best connection you could possibly have because it's that authentic connection that we can just continue to grow and cross-pollinate and share ideas and build a culture and a community. And through all of us getting together on Fridays and hiking up the mountain and being in nature, you know, when Obama was in the White House, he used to walk around the White House and have meetings. Now I know why. Because when you're walking around and you're talking about ideas, you become brilliant. You don't just think about what you want to do. You become brilliant and you become creative. And just everything is happening all at once. All that kinetic energy is just filtering over and over as you're just out walking and talking and meeting people on the trail who then become part of Friday Morning Hike Club. It's been pretty incredible. So with all this shit that happened to me, all this bad shit, it happened for a reason. It happened for a reason because I needed to let go and let God. I needed to let go and let God. I needed to enjoy my life. You know, I'm too afraid that I'm going to lose everything I have, that I'm not going to get what I want and I'm going to lose everything that I have. I'm too busy to smell the roses. So it took something like this for me to just stop in my tracks, let go and let God, and just be able to stop and smell the roses. And now I spend more time with my kids. I take them to school in the morning. I never did that. I take them to school in the morning. I know all the other parents at the school. I sit, you know, I talk to them all the time. Like, the, like we call each other. And, I, you know, it's just amazing. It's amazing what's happened. Explain to people um, what your new idea is. Oh. So when I got sober, my sponsor said, because I never felt good enough. That's why I'm an overachiever. I always have to feel like I'm not going to lose everything. So I never felt good enough. So my new idea was, dear great spirit, please help me to pause and know that I'm enough. And that's been my new idea for 19 years. Like, I can't seem to let go of that new idea. And they've tried giving me new ideas over the years, but never really stuck. Well, now my new idea is, dear great spirit, please help me to pause and know that the universe has my back because for sure it has my back. It absolutely for sure has my back. And the month of May, when I was completely vacut, okay, like 
May 1st, septic shock, and don't know, Larry, to tell Sarah, you know, can't move, take a pee, get out of ER, take a pee, someone dying, priest walk, all this stuff that happened in May. When I get all my commission checks in June, it's more money I ever made the whole year came in May. So now my new idea is, dear great spirit, please help me to pause and know that I'm enough or know that the universe has my back. Here's to the universe having your back. All right. So I, I think some people might have some questions for you, but like, you know, I, I guess like one of the things that just really resonated with me through this process, and I'm curious what advice you have for people. It's, you know, one, two part question. One, you know, the diagnosis now and how you feel, but two, also as you're going through it, it's like, we all know there's like great sushi restaurants and bad sushi <laughs> restaurants. There's good lawyers and yeah. bad lawyers, music directors. But you go to your doctor and you just yeah. assume you show up at the hospital and yeah. that's the deal. How, you know, I want to hear about, you know, how things look going forward. But also, what advice do you have for people right, going well, through something? Look, going forward, let me tell you this, okay? The men in the room, I love y'all. Women, we have something the men don't have. We have instincts. Follow your instincts. You know, when I first got sober, my boss would tell me, I've been practicing law 30 years. You've been practicing five minutes. I know what I'm doing. But I got my, my houses done, you know, when I got sober for the caravana. And she told me my eighth house of other people's income, royalties, and commissions, I had the planet Jupiter. I go, what does that mean? She goes, you have impeccable instincts, especially when it comes to business. And you need to follow your instincts. I go, really? Fanny said, follow them motherfucking instincts. So between her and Fanny... I always followed my instincts. And women in this room, you need to follow your instincts. If it feels bad, it's bad. If your body don't feel right, it's wrong. If the job don't feel good, it's wrong job. Like, follow your fucking instincts and make a move. Think about what you want to do. So for me, I knew, we knew, Wendy, something was wrong. And even though the doctors kept arguing with us to suck it up, I knew. I said, I don't care what he says. We're going to the ER. And now what's going on with me is I'm on antibiotics through the end of the year, which is a pain in the ass because I have to take probiotics and all this shit and it fucks with you. But, you know, they don't know if the infection is gone because the one thing that happened in the surgery is they swabbed the infection and nothing grew. So they don't know what it was because they killed it, but they also put a titanium plate in my neck. So they don't know if the titanium plate is sterile. So I'm on all these antibiotics through the end of the year, and when I get off the antibiotics, if the infection comes back, they have to remove the titanium plate, but they gotta make sure that my neck is fused enough to stand on its own before they do that. So that's what's going on. And by the way, I'm pretty sure I got the infection from vitamin shots, okay? So I got into this whole LA bullshit with my clients getting B shot 12s in my ass, and I had the nurse come to my firm every week to give me my B12 shot and the whole thing very LA, but what happened is, and I know what happened, is that I got a B12 shot, and I remember that, you know, it hurt, and I have text messages to him saying that my ass hurt, and he goes, rub it out, sometimes it hurts. But then, it developed a little mass back there, and he switched cheeks. So what had happened is, I think that I had some kind of infected needle, and it lodged its way in my body, rested, which is why I was so fatigued in March, 
when I was teaching my class, taking a nap on my couch with my new blanket that hides behind the door. By the way, I gave the fucking blanket to the homeless person because I don't need no blanket no more. Um, and that's what happened. So just don't do that. Wow. Yeah. Anybody else have any other questions? Well, how will they know if the infection is happening? Because I will not be me. So... Yeah. Yeah. I have a prescription for an MRI that I carry with me at all times. So if I go out of the country and I get a fever or I start feeling not good, I got to immediately get to a place for an MRI and get my ass back to LA. Immediately. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about hospitals? <sighs> not the rehab, so the hospital. You have to advocate for yourself. Here's the thing about the hospitals. A lot of my doctors were bags of shit. We got sent an angel. By the way, let me tell you how it works. When you're in crisis in the hospital and you get admitted to, and you're in crisis, okay? Like you're dying crisis like I was, you get assigned a hospitalist. You know what this is, people? It's the same thing as a product manager at a record company, okay? You get a hospitalist. And this hospitalist is in charge of all the other doctors that are rendering services on you. And that hospitalist makes sure they all communicate and that everybody is putting information into the computer so you could be treated. And that's the hospitalist that approves the budgets, that goes to get this approved, that says this okay, says this okay. We got this amazing hospitalist. It was like she stepped out of Grey's Anatomy. This young, hip doctor, Dr. Ariella, who was amazing. And she was this amazing doctor, and she was my hospitalist, and she just was like, approved, approved, do this, do this, do this, do this. I'm since very close friends with her now. She and I have become very close friends, and um, she was my hospitalist, and that's amazing. And if you get a good hospitalist, that hospitalist advocates for you. So just like a product manager at a record company, you get a good product. You know, the difference between having a flopola and having a good record is your product manager, okay? So you got Val Pence up in that bitch, and you're going to go platinum, okay? So... Um, I had a really good hospitalist, and she really moved, moved mountains for us. But, you know, you've got to know your people. You've got to know your doctors. If your doctors are dicking around or you don't feel right about your doctor, go change them. Argue with your doctor. Like, the thing is with me, I would argue with the doctor because I'm also, like, everybody says lawyers, doctors, lawyers. So I'd throw that in their face. I'd be like, just because you're a fucking doctor doesn't mean you're right. And you're even second-guessing yourself now, so shut it. Like, this is how I would talk to these people. It was crazy because they'd be telling me some shit. Like my internist is like, well, you know, because I, I, I later said to him, because now I have a new internist, and before I left him, I sat with him and I go, I'm going to do you a great favor. I'm not going to sue your ass, but you committed medical malpractice on me, and you need to rethink your career path because you fucking suck at your job. <laughs> and he was like, uh excuse me, and I go, if you didn't have the micro laws in California, I'd sue you just for fun. But I can only get $250,000, and I make that in a fucking month, and I'm not going to do that, okay? But I'm going to save your ass, because I'm going to give you the opportunity to get the fuck out of this profession and go do something that could really help people, okay? Because you almost killed me, because you didn't listen to me. And he goes, Dina, we're professionals, and we do the best we can. I said, you know what the difference between you and me, Andrew, is I know my clients. 
It's not cookie cutter. I don't tell Steven Tyler the same shit I tell Brittany. Like you have to know your clients, know your patients. Okay. I was 19 years clean and sober off drugs and alcohol. You had me on Percocet, Vicodin, Tramadol, telling my wife to suck it up. Fuck off. You, I'm giving you a year to change your profession because I'm telling everybody that you're a fucking quackadoodle-doo. All right. <laughs> I think, you know, this story is so powerful. And as this is happening, I can't even imagine what your life was because I think for all of us that care about you, things were just happening so fast and were so shocking and so unbelievable. But, um, you know, I wanted to get people together here today because we care about you so much. And you are so smart and so beautiful and so connected. And I'm sure every single person in this room has had a time in their life where you have saved their ass. (laughs) And so I think just to close out, I love everybody. Just I'm going to go around the room. I want you to say one word that you think of when you think of Dina or this talk. And I'm going to start with Monica. Strength. Magic. All right, Dina. I love you too. I love you too. That was fun. From the living room of Julie Pyle. There we go.